We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And when, uh, when I've had the opportunity to teach, uh, I've been going through Corinthians with you guys. And uh, 1 Corinthians is a great book. Um, you know, while you're turning there, 1 Corinthians, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then uh, I believe 1 Corinthians. I should know that, right? And uh, it's a good book. It says a lot of hard things. It says a lot of simple things that are hard. And it says a lot of challenging things. But it's a lot of things that we need to hear. It's a lot of things I needed to hear uh, when I first got saved, coming out of the world. And it's a lot of things that I still need to hear um, as we go through it tonight. It definitely spoke to me a lot. But um, the title of tonight's message is Let Man Not Separate. Let Man Not Separate. Some of you might know where that verse is. Uh, We'll get there later or where that's quoted from. Um, But tonight's message, Let Man Not Separate, is a... you know, I don't get the fun messages. I don't get the Thanksgiving message. Oh, you know, fill up the cornucopia, go make the stuffing, and have a good time. You know, love your family. No, this is a PG-13 message. And <laughs> so, seriously, if you have uh, little ones, you might want to send them to the children's ministry. They have uh, probably some fun stuff going on under 12. Um, but it's PG-13. Um, it's not inappropriate. It's not um, vulgar or coarse, but it's intended for adults. And for the most part, we're adults here. So um, it's good. I think it's a lot of things that, you know, we need to hear. And we go, really, that's in the Bible? Or I think part of it is we go, really, that's in the Bible? I don't want to hear that. Or I don't want to obey that. So we kind of skip over it. But it might be hard to hear. And it might be even harder to live out. Um, except in principle, it's not. It's really simple. I heard a quote the other day that, um, you know, being an expert is something and I'm butchering this, I always butcher these quotes, but being an expert at something is doing the simple things well. You know, the advanced techniques are really just the simple techniques faster, or more of them put together, you know. Um, But this letter was written to the church in Corinth. Um, It was the Isthmus of Corinth, it was a a city in Greece, Uh, it was a port city, Uh, it was a very large city for its day, Um, several hundred thousand people, um, it was a, a busy city, uh, a very worldly city. Uh, there was a saying, and you guys have heard it if you've been here for the Corinthian study, um, to live like a Corinthian. You know, it's sort of like what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. You know, what happens in Corinth is written about here. But it's written by the Apostle Paul. You know, he's a guy, Saul. He was out persecuting the church. God knocks him off his horse, says, hey, you know, you're persecuting God. You're not doing God a service. And Paul gets saved. And... Uh, you know, but it was written to a church in the middle of a very promiscuous society. And I go, oh, wow, that's, that's us. You know, we're a church in the middle of a very promiscuous society. Um, but in the Corinthian church, a lot of believers had come out of an intense sexual perversity and wickedness and wicked lifestyles. You know, and they had some serious questions to deal with. And Corinthians deals with a lot of those things, even early on. And, uh, you know... Today, as we get into this message, you might not even think of this as really being perverse. It's just normal. You know, I think we've defined many things as normal today that just because it's normal doesn't mean that it's right or that it's the best plan. Um, but they asked for uh, Paul's pastoral perspective. If you guys listen to The Bridge, 99.7 or 103.1, if you're down in Jersey, 6 o'clock at night, they have a show called Pastor's Perspective. And that's where people call in and get uh, uh, the perspective of pastors, you know. Pretty good title for a show, I guess. Um, but it's a good show, and they call in, you get good questions, and you hear what they have to say. And I kind of felt, uh, you know, reading this, the first part of the chapter, that this is sort of what we were doing. This is pastor's perspective from a couple thousand years ago. 
But Paul gives uh, sound spiritual advice from the Lord and strong practical advice and godly wisdom from a pastor. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I encourage you to read the first part of the chapter because this verse in context is a lot more powerful than, than it is when we just put it on our fridge in this, in this manner. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, it's one thing to seek the right advice. How many of us go out and ask our friends for advice? I remember in high school and college, how many times would we just spend hours at the diner just talking about advice? And, you know, what do I do? And I'm in this situation. And blah, blah, blah. It's usually about a relationship or something. Um, but it's another thing to actually take it. You know, there's so much good advice out there. There's so much bad advice out there. There's so much advice out there. It seems everyone has a piece of advice nowadays. Uh, you go to the bookstore. You go on a blog. Somebody's got something to say about everything. Um, but tonight, we're going to get wise, biblical counsel from the words of God through Paul. So what I say, eh, take it or leave it. But let's hear what the scripture has to say. And we're going to hear about marriage, intimacy in marriage, singleness versus marriage, divorce, but also something interesting that's kind of keyed in in the middle of the chapter about living in the situation we're in. Let's, uh, let me get a swig of water and we'll start. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Lord, we just uh, thank you again for your word. And, and that's true. And I pray that we'd all hear your heart on this and that it wouldn't be, like I said earlier, a command or anything, but just that we'd hear your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. We'll read the first six verses. Uh, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Uh, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. We'll stop there. starts out, verse 1, concerning the things you wrote to me. So obviously, you know, Paul had been in Corinth. He established the church there. The church had some things after Paul had left on his missionary journeys and said, hey, what do we do? You know, like I remember that was like one of the things when I first got saved, like coming out of the world and, you know, Lord rescuing me from drugs and uh, sexual lifestyle and all this stuff. Um, just what do I do now? Like I knew every wrong thing to do. I knew that God and Jesus and the Bible were the answer, but then how does that look in my life? And even then, what does the Bible even say? I don't even know what it says other than you know the stories I heard in Sunday school as a kid. But they had concerns over the matters of male-female relationships, sex, marriage, and everything that goes along with it. You know, it says, uh, nevertheless, that you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, does that mean you can't high-five or do the, the Christian hug or that sort of thing? No. The, the con- well, maybe you can't, but the connotation here is that of a sexual nature. 
Um, in fact, the word touch um, can be translated sexual intercourse, and even this, cohabitation. Cohabitation. Um, you know, our society says that th- these things are not only permissible, but they're normal, they're allowable, and they're encouraged and taught. I mean, watch any, you know, quote-unquote love or romance movie, and it's all about moving in. It's all about the other stuff that comes. You know, our society's main way of getting information on what is normal and how to live probably is TV. You know, I remember growing up, and for a while, you know, I listened to my parents, but then when I got to the rebellious age, I started listening to MTV. I started listening to my friends more. I started going, oh, okay, so the real world, that's what the real world's like. No way. I mean, if you remember what that show was, I mean, it's tame compared to what's on TV nowadays. But, you know, I remember going, oh, like, this is, uh, this is the way older kids live. You know, but the Bible and God, God really, through the Bible, are very clear. And I'm just repeating it. So if you have any uh, fan mail tonight for tonight's message, you can write to Jim Young, P.O. Box 1009, Goshen, New York, 10924. And uh, <laughs> they'll gladly be read. Seriously. You know, if, if, if I'm not clear on something or if you disagree with me on something, I'd love to talk to you afterwards. You know, I don't, I don't claim to know the answers. I'm just trying to go through the scripture and, and say, what is really the scripture saying here tonight? But I digress. The Bible and God are very clear. Sex with anyone other than the person you are currently married to is sin. Living together before you're married is sin. If you can live together and not be sexually intimate, then you're probably not alive. I'd like to check your pulse, you know. Um, I'm not going to say that they're on par with the same thing with each other, but I'm saying that at least the very appearance that, oh, these two people are Christians and they're living together, you know, what, what does that look like? What does that mean in the world? You know, Thessalonians talks about the appearance of sin is sin. What? Wait, that's too hard. That's too hard. It's a recession. i got to have a roommate. But, you know, don't worry that there's an easy solution to this. Marriage. We can't afford it. We're not ready for it, etc., etc. Well, then why are they having sex? Why are we having sex if you can't afford marriage? Because we love each other. Well, then get married. You know, we like it. Well, then get married. You know, we all will struggle with some form of sexual immorality, in our lives, sometimes worse than others, but if we're all alive, we all, most of us, I mean, except for the very few fraction that the Lord is blessed with, you know, the gift of celibacy, um, you know, you're going to have sexual struggles, whether it's thoughts, whether it's actions, whether it's just stuff in your heart, you're always going to have that struggle. But, God has a way out. Marriage. Marriage. Proverbs 6, 23 through 29 says, For the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of seductress, do not lust after her beauty in your heart, nor let her allure you with her eyelids. For by the means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. You know, the example here is adultery. But the overarching subject is sexual immorality. You will get burned. You know, first your conscience, then your lap, then your life. 
and those in it. You know, don't let it get that far. You know, there's always time to repent. There's always time to leave. Whether it's thoughts, don't hold on to them. You know, if it's gone further than that, repent. And I'm not saying that as a law or as a burden or as a, a judgment. It's be careful. You're going to get burned. You know, you can't, we can't play with fire. But marriage is the answer for sexual immorality. You know, you don't want to be sexually immoral? Then get married. You know, do you struggle with these things? Do you struggle with sexual thoughts? Then you're probably supposed to be married or get married. Or maybe you've been married at some time. But ask God. Ask God. You know, real quick. You know, I was in a, in a lifestyle before I knew the Lord of relationships all the time. And then I got saved. And I wasn't in a relationship for six or so years. It was this season of singleness. And it was like, all right, Lord. Like, it was always on my mind. But I always had to, like, give it to the Lord and give it to the Lord. And eventually the Lord brought my wife. So it's like, I knew I was supposed to get married. But we'll get into that a little later. But let's turn to Mark. Chapter 10, 1 through 16. <clears throat> it says, uh, Then he arose, Jesus, from there, and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And multitudes gathered uh, to him again, and as he was accustomed, he taught them. Uh, the Pharisees came and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to, to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. So obviously they need to hear this again because it's too hard to understand. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And I'm going to read the next three verses just because it's, uh, I find it interesting that this is right after this. Uh, it says, then they brought the little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter them. And he took them up in his arms, and he laid hands on them and blessed them. So it's interesting that, you know, Jesus starts to talk about divorce here. You know, the guys say, hey, you know, you know what about divorce? You know, Moses said we get a divorce, and Jesus goes, Okay, but he did it because you guys have hard hearts. He didn't do it because it was necessarily God's commandment. He did it because you guys were really begging for it. But I think it's interesting that after this section, Jesus segues to these little kids. Like right away, he's talking about divorce, and then, oh, the little kids want to come to the Lord. And I think that kind of reiterates to me that divorce always affects children. You know, they are the real bearers of the burdens of divorce. You know, divorce is especially never final if you have kids. If you don't have kids, you know, practically you could probably separate ways and never have to talk to each other ever again. But if you have children, there's probably going to be weekends. There's going to be, you know, sports games. There's going to be school meetings. There's going to be holidays. There's going to be birthdays. You know, if you desire to be in the life of your child, or even you're always going to have these memories, 
you know, there's, there's going to be some sort of connection there. And it's interesting that Jesus says that the reason why there's marriage is because there's men and women. Like the whole point of marriage is like, God, I made men and women, so I made marriage. It's like they go hand in hand. Like if God didn't want us to get married, he would have made just, you know, all men and we'd all have been like, whatever, I'm out of here, you know. But he didn't. He made men and women. But it's interesting that natural holy separation is supposed to take place between parents and children at marriage. That parents are supposed to leave their parents and cleave to their spouse. But maybe there's um, unnatural or, un- or harmful separation that happens early with divorce, or with even without divorce, even in a home where maybe just the relationship between the parents and the kids are strained, and the kids separate. And what do they go to first? A relationship. They said, oh, I've been separated from my parents. Let me go to a relationship. Maybe it's just friends at first. Maybe it turns into dating, and maybe it turns into sexual relationships or drugs or other harmful things. I'm just saying, it's just, it's just an interesting connection there, maybe. But marriage was created because sex was created because God created people as men and women. That's the whole reason. God, you know, God wanted to do it to be a picture of the church and, and him. That's what marriage is. But why should we get married even? You know, if you're not married, you know, why should you even get married? Because it's God's design. You know, it's not a, a thing made up by man. It's not something that somebody came up with when they were writing a movie script. It's something that, that God designed from the very beginning when he made Adam and Eve. You know, and let man not separate. The words of Jesus sounds very similar to me to let there be light. Uh, let there be light. Uh, let there not be separation. You know, it's a new bond when you get married. It's a new family. You know, yeah, you still have your old family, and they're still your family, but they're not the same kind of family. You know, when you get married, you all of a sudden have a new family. You know, all of a sudden, like, you're the parents, or you're the, you know, you're the husband, you're the wife. All of a sudden, you have to make the decisions, or you have to pay the bills, or all these other things. You know, there's supposed to be this, this separation there. Um, and that's a holy separation. You know, that's designed by God. There's meant to be that separation. Um, but, when you get married, there's this coming together, this, this joining. Or when you have sex, there's that joining. And so, something that's supposed to be protected, sanctified spiritually, and protected physically, when operating outside of those bounds, is no longer holy, and it's no longer safe. It's now dangerous because it's not protected. You know, verse 3 and 4 says, um, you know, we'll go on, is physical intimacy. You know, it's more than just a pastime or when you feel like it. And it's sense... It's the spouse's duty. Now, not that a spouse should be abused or forced or anything like that, but you should consider it your duty, you know, to render. The word there is to give back, to restore, to pay off, or to deliver, even at one's own expense. You know, intimacy should never, in a way, be denied in marriage. You know, if it's being denied, there's, there's a problem. You know, there's either an abuse going on or either, you know, whether the abuse is warranting the, the staying away or the abuse is in and of itself the, the staying away. <clears throat> but it says here that, you know, unless it causes some sort of physical pain or issue, that it really only should be kept apart for temporary times. It shouldn't be for a long amount of time. You know, again, this idea of sexual immorality. You know, if marriage is, is in a sense an answer to sexual immorality or a way out of sexual immorality, 
if you're then in marriage, the one way out of sexual immorality that's, you know, other than spending time with the Lord and worshiping him and, and fleeing it, you know, if you're in this, this relationship that's designed for it and it's not being met in there, then that's a real dangerous time. It's a real dangerous time. You know, in our culture, we have phrases like in the doghouse or sleeping on the couch. You know, generally on TV, you'll see that the husband does something stupid and the wife, you know, makes him sleep on the couch. And, you know, I can understand that, you know, from time to time. But the overall idea is, you know, that there shouldn't be separation in marriage. Um, You know, sex is not a tool for gaining control, for gaining power or what you want. Sleep on the couch until you buy me that diamond ring or... You know, I'm not touching you until you start dressing like that or acting like that. Like, it's not meant to be a tool for that. It's meant to be a tool for joining, for intimacy, not for control or power. And because it's so powerful, I think that's the easy, the easy way, the reason why we do it. The reason why it gets twisted so quickly is because it's so powerful. Hey, like a gun, not necessarily a bad thing. But if you say, hey, this thing is so very powerful, let me start using it for bad it's in the same, in the same way. It's not really meant for bad. In fact, this might blow your mind. Sex is a tool for worship. You know, God created it, just like God created music. So it glorifies God when we use it correctly, when we use it in marriage, just like it can hurt us outside of marriage or outside of the way God created it. It can glorify him when it's used correctly. You know, after all, Christ and the church, Christ and the believer are the true picture of marriage. Love and respect. Christ being the husband and the church being the bride. In the same way, that's the design of marriage. You know, what? We just had an argument. He never listens to me. You know how long that honeydew list is? Or she disrespects me in front of all my friends. You know, those are some of the arguments we may have had, we may have heard, or that are common. But I got this advice years ago from a well-meaning friend that even after an argument, to be intimate with your wife, and his wife even agreed, so don't take it even as like a chauvinist answer. And the physical joining, I think this is why, the physical joining can lead to spiritual and emotional and mental rejoining. It's like marriage is meant to be a spiritual connection, an emotional connection, a mental connection, and a physical connection. So if these other connections are kind of broken... You know, the last resort is kind of, all right, well, let's see how we can get it back together here. Um, you know, often after an argument, the physical need to be intimate, you know, um, not, not on the power trip side of the argument, but really on the I'm hurting. Like, I'm hurting, you're hurting. We haven't really dealt with this yet. It can be really helpful. You know, it can lead to emotional openness. Like, you know, it just does. The physical act leads to emotional openness because it creates all these other bonds that are going on. Um, you know, now I'm not saying have an argument so you can have an excuse to be intimate. Dinner was cold, or, you know, you tracked mud in the house, or you spent all that money on a motorcycle. You know, don't, don't use that as an excuse. I'm saying it's sort of like, um, as backwards and destructive. Um, it's sort of like a band-aid. It's like, okay, things are going wrong. Let's go to the emergency room. <laughs> you know, have problems in your marriage? Pray. Obviously pray. You know, don't go to the flesh first. Go to the spirit first and pray. Go to God and pray. But after praying... Seek intimacy. Don't force it. You know, if your partner's not willing after an argument, you just had an argument. You know, don't expect it then. But, you know, try being intimate regularly and see what happens to the rest of your intimacy. 
See what happens. I know this is awkward hearing it for me, but see what happens. See if the rest of your marriage doesn't start maybe falling in line, if you're praying and if you're seeking intimacy. Whether it's, let me just try and have a conversation with my wife. Let me just try and listen to what she's saying. Or let me just try and do this with my husband, even if I don't say anything. You know, let me just watch this silly TV show that he likes, you know. That's how Ashley gets me to, you know, know that, like, she cares about me, is if I can just zone out for five minutes and she just watches a stupid video with me. But 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you know, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, it says that, um, that the man's body belongs to his wife and the wife's body belongs to the husband. That's not for abuse. That's, that's relationship. That's the highest form of relationship is saying, hey, I totally belong to you, you know. You know, just as we are gods when we say, I do, you know, just as we are gods when we get saved, when we say, I do, we now become that other person. And that's part of why it's so important that we marry the person that that God has intended for us. Um, You know, it's not in slavery. It's not, I belong to you, and I'm in chains, and you can beat me, and, uh, you know, I'm going to be down Cinderella on the floor. It's not that kind of belonging. Uh, It might be, I mean. You know, sometimes I feel it's that way for my wife, but, you know, God's working on me. But it's sanctified, protected, unified mentally, emotionally, and physically. It's this belonging that matters. Like, you know, it's like cheers, like where everybody knows your name, like where your wife knows everything about you and you know everything about your wife and you still love each other. Like, that's a miracle. But verse 5, you know, verse 5 gives a reason for temporary separation. Like, okay, like, I don't know if you've ever been on a road trip or ever been in a confined space for too long and you just, I need to get away for a minute. That's understandable. I mean, you can't be around, you know, it's hard enough being around ourselves while getting upset, let alone being around somebody else all day long. But it gives the reason for temporary separation, and that's fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. Oh, really? Okay. You know, is, is it okay to take time apart? Yeah. Especially for fasting and prayer. In fact, that's the only reason, really, that it's really mandated to be not be with the person that you're married to. But, again, because this topic is so powerful and it can be misused so easily, we need to take these three things into consideration. Number one, it has to be agreed by both partners so that to not to deny the other and cause them to sin. You know, it's like if you deny your spouse long enough, like if you're, if you're, the, you know, you're in this relationship that's meant, it's like if you're at a restaurant, and you're hungry, and this is the only restaurant in town, the only restaurant you can go to, and the only one that takes your money, and you're hungry, and you haven't eaten days, you know, and then it's like the waiter keeps bringing you over you a plate of food and walking away or puts a plate of food in front of you and takes it away or, you know, comes and says, oh, I'll be there in a minute or takes your order and, and never comes back with your order, and you're hungry, and you're like, I can't go anywhere else in town. Eventually, you're probably going to punch the guy in the booth behind you and take his, you know, burger, you know. For me, I don't know how long that would take, but... Hopefully you guys will last a little longer. But th- and I'm not using this as an excuse for it, but I'm saying is now the temptation there to beat that guy up and take his burger is greater because you've been denied in the only place that you can receive. And that's why in marriage it's so important that, that we're there for our spouse because we don't want to... Temptation is hard enough as it is, even when you have a perfectly healthy marriage, let alone when it's not. It's like, oh, okay, now it's like that much harder to to say no to that, that TV show at night or to say no to that book or to that person who's paying attention to you who's not your spouse. You know, so that's a reason to be very careful with this. Not that it's an excuse for when it happens, but we don't really want to be a party or to encourage it or to, you know, make the temptation any worse. 
And the second point is that it's always temporary. You know, for whatever it is, it's always an agreed end time. Like, okay, it'll be a night, a day, a week, whatever. There, you know, there's light at the end of this tunnel. I can make it because, you know, it's like if there's no hope, what's the point in going on? You know, if you feel like there's no hope. And I know what it's like to, to, to feel hopeless, but, but God's there. And sometimes when you're single, it feels hopeless. Like, Lord, when is this going to end? But he knows. He knows, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But three, it's not just so you can go watch the PGA Tour or watch, you know, do some, you know, Pinterest or knitting or, you know, hang out with your friends or do whatever you want to do. It's for spiritual reasons. It's, you know, you know, I need to go seek the Lord right now. Things are going on in my life. I need to seek the Lord. Or, you know, things are up with our kids or our marriage or at work or at church or whatever it may be. Or I just need time with the Lord. You know, everything's great, but I still need time with the Lord because we need time with the Lord. You know, it's to seek God in prayer and fasting. And this idea of separation, you know, I just want to, it came to mind while I was kind of thinking about the message, you know, afterwards. And uh, Jesus was separated from his father on the cross. You know, and yet he knew that there was an end to that. He knew that God would raise him from the dead. He had faith that God was going to do that. And yet there's still this separation, this painful separation to bring about a spiritual healing for us, really. But why, why again, would we not want to, you know, prolong this? Why would we not want to mess around with this too much? It's because sexual immorality is rampant. You know, our hearts are wicked. You know, you've awoken your sexual nature if, you've, you know, if you're married. Um, to put it back to bed is nearly impossible outside of marriage. It's impossible without the Lord. And within marriage, it's even harder, like I said, because, you know, it's no longer a sin. You know, it's like you're at the restaurant. You're supposed to eat here. You know, this is your restaurant. You know, you should be able to get an appetizer every now and then. Whatever that means. But, um, you know, and I think especially like the Corinthian church that we're in a world that's so oversaturated with perversion. It's like you can't even turn on the TV without seeing a commercial for anything. Or, you know, you can't even check your email without getting a piece of junk. Or you can't even, you know, really do anything in the society and, and not go a few minutes without having some sort of sexual message being broadcast to you. You know, Pornography is rampant. Even kids are so engulfed in it that they model their lives after it. You know, I rue the day when my daughter wants a cell phone or whatever, you know, device they have out then, you know. Uh, it's just something to be very careful with. You know, um, but flee from it. Flee from sexual immorality. Flee. If you're single, if you're married, whatever the case is, flee from it. That's really only the answer. Flee from it and flee to the Lord. You know, you can't play with fire, you know, and this fire you really can't put out on your own. Flee to marriage. And if you're married, flee to your spouse. Flee to your spouse. Um, you know, it's easier to be spiritual. Hear me out. Find spiritual time when you're single. I remember those six years or so before uh, the Lord brought Ashley into my life, before we started dating, before, you know, I didn't date until I knew that uh, she was the one for me. But it was easy to be spiritual. It's like, all right, like, I'm going to bed. I'm the only one in the room. I can spend time with the Lord. You know, it's not awkward. You know, or it's not like there's no distraction or, you know, there's not a baby crying or, which I love my daughter, but it's like, now it's like, okay, now I have to, it's much harder to make that time and before it just, it could happen anytime I wanted because all I had to do was leave the room. You know, I didn't have other responsibilities other than myself. And that's good. So if you're in a season of signalness, use every opportunity to serve the Lord and seek the Lord. And if you're married, use every opportunity to seek the Lord and serve the Lord. But in this case, that's why occasional separation is good. 
But again, only when handled properly because it's just part of life. You know how busy life is, you guys. Definitely know how busy it is. You've been living it longer than I have. But verse 6, Paul says, um, let's read it again. But I say this, all this, as a concession, not as a commandment. So again, he's saying, kind of like Moses, I'm giving it to you as a concession. I'm not really saying, this is the way it's got to be. This is, you have to be married or you have to not be married or, you know, all these things. He's saying, you asked, is it okay? Basically, let's go back and step back a little bit here. You asked if it's okay to have intimacy with the opposite sex. And I'm telling you, in marriage, it's okay. And the Corinthians, you know, I've heard it say that the Corinthians, because they came out of such a wicked lifestyle, they said, okay, that's so wicked, I have to go do the polar opposite and not do anything. And for a season, that can be good. Like for me, you know, that season had to be six years. And, you know, that's it. You know, sometimes there has to be seasons like that for us to totally get away from it and God totally work things out in our lives. But it doesn't have to be forever. And yet we're going to get into something here in a minute that kind of says, all right, if you can handle it, you know, there might be something else here that we're missing. But for this part, if you, if you can't picture a life without intimacy, physical intimacy, with the opposite sex, then marriage is your answer. Marriage is your answer. <clears throat> you know, when you do get married, or if you are thinking about getting married, or, you know, you're on the way to get married, and, uh, you know, you want to be equally yoked, as it says later in Corinthians. That means that every part of your life is going to have to be going the same direction. You know, you're going to want to pull the same weight as the other person. You know, honestly, if, if, if you're a believer and they're not a believer, they're not the one. If you're a believer and they're a believer, all right, you know, do the math. What are the odds that that's the one? You know, like, if they're a believer and they're involved in the same ministry as you, they believe the same things as you do, they have the same basic likes and dislikes. Like, you know, my wife loves mushrooms. I go, how can you eat fungus? You know, like, we have differences. Like, it's like, I'm like, it's an ear. Like, you know, but she loves them. You know, my dad loves them. I don't, you know, whatever. You know, maybe I'm the weaker brother. I don't know. But it's like, you know, there have to be, you know, you're not going to be exactly alike, but you have to be going in the same direction because otherwise you're just going to be pulling at each other and you're not going to get anywhere and it's going to be horrible. And, and we'll get there, but maybe. <laughs> you just want to be equally yoked in all those ways. But let's go on. Let's go on. Uh, verse 7 through 9. For I wish, Paul wishes, that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And we'll stop there. And Paul says he wishes that all men were like himself. What's that, an old Jewish guy? (laughs) Maybe. But I think the point is here, like, that he is single. Now, scholars will, you know, argue that, you know, Paul was either never married or because of the the groups that he was a part of, that he was married at some time, and perhaps his wife left him because he became a believer. And so, you know, he talks about that and how that plays out later, but that he's now single. And single really means able to serve the Lord with 100% of your time. Now, I don't mean that when you're married that, you know, loving your spouse and not serving the Lord. I mean is like, you know, you can be gung-ho, 100%, public ministry all the time because you don't have to worry about taking care of a home. You know, you can be homeless like Paul. You can be beat up and out there and, you know, no place to lay your head like Jesus because you didn't have to go do a, a typical job and, you know, support a family. But we won't get to it in context tonight, but uh, later on in 32 and 33, it says, But I want you to be without care. 
He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married carries, cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. You know, it's true. It's like when you're single, you're never worrying about an anniversary. You're never worried about missing a birthday. You're worried about other people missing your birthday. But you're not really, you know, going out there, oh, you know, what could I do to please my wife this weekend? Or, you know, oh, I probably should mow the lawn to please my wife. Or whatever it is. You don't have to have those thoughts. So th- that time can now be spent on doing something else. You know, maybe it's video games. I don't know. But the idea is that the ideal use of that time is to serve the Lord. You know, when you're married, you start worrying about all those other things so you don't get in trouble. Just kidding. But seriously, you know, it was my wife's birthday Saturday. You know, gifts, dinner, babysitter, where to go, what to get. Does she like it? Man, I think as a husband. You know, all the thoughts that like, go through my mind. You know, it's a blessing, and I love it, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, you know, God's it gifts me with two wonderful people that are now my, you know, my family. Um, but when I was single, I didn't have to worry about it. And, and honestly, I can't say that when I was single, I spent 100% of my time serving the Lord. You know, I probably watched a little bit more Netflix. You know, I probably went to the diner a little more often. You know, you know that's how I got like this. You know, it's like, that's just the case. But that when I was single, I can say that I didn't have to worry. You know, if a mission trip came up, I could say, yeah, I'm there. I didn't have to think, uh, you know, am I going to be able to get time off of work? You know, I'll just quit my job. You know, I'll get another job. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I got to feed my family. I can't just up and do that. Like, there's things that, uh, that take precedence. But when you're single, you can serve the Lord. You can go wherever you want. You know, love the Lord and do what you want. Um, but, and here's the key. Marriage is temporal. Marriage only is for this lifetime. It's like if you're single and you serve the Lord in your singleness, that lasts for eternity. And yeah, if you serve your spouse, the, the, that can have effects for eternity. Your spouse can be led to the Lord and, and last for eternity and your kids and everything. But it's a little different. It's a little different. You know, it's like you're spending all this time. You know, we have a limited amount of time on earth. You know, 70, 80 years by reason of some. You know, so if you spend 50 of those years married, you just use 50 of those years for something that's not going to be in heaven, so to say. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't approve of marriage or that that means a reason not to get married. I'm just saying it's a reason to consider getting married. You know, is this really what the Lord has for me? Is this the Lord's plan for my life to be married, or is this just what I desire, you know? And I'd, 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 I'd say that if you really have a desire, it probably is the Lord's will for you. But, but this is, you know, it's, you know, the Bible says this stuff, and we kind of have to get into it because it's there. You know, there's no marriage in heaven, you know. We're going to be married to Jesus. And it's a great mystery, Paul says. It's a great mystery. You know, we're going to be held accountable eternally for how we handle our marriage temporally. And Paul says that marriage... I, I wish to save you some trouble. And that's why he says, in a sense, don't get married because marriage is hard. You guys know it. Marriage is hard. And we're going to be held accountable for it one day. But he says that Paul wishes, you know, God, but God gives gifts. Paul wishes we we're all old Jewish guys who are single. But God gives gifts. God gives gifts, you know, um, some to be single and some to be married. And when I met Ashley and we had hung out, you know, a few times in a group setting and, you know, we had shared our testimonies, and uh, we were just, like, friends. And I was praying about, like, Lord, is this the one? Like, you know, I kind of, you know, I like her, you know, just doing the whole guy thing, like, driving home, praying. The Lord gave me the verse, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights, and in, in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I was like, sweet, it's her. You know, like, 
it wasn't time yet, but it was, yeah, I knew it was my wife. And that's why I have it engraved on the inside of my ring, like, you know, Lord of the Rings. Like, it's in there. You know, you put it in the fire and it glow. No, I'm just kidding. But it's in there. And part of the reason is because another good friend gave me advice. Like, if you don't have a verse like that, if you don't know for sure, marriage is going to be that much harder. Because it's like, anytime we're going through something, and like, I'm acting like a jerk, or I'm thinking foolishly, God goes, just reminds me of the ring. It reminds me of that verse on the inside of the ring. And I go, all right, you're right, Lord. And, you know, it's really, I can't escape it. And that's good, because you're not supposed to. But unmarried, you single dudes and girls, seriously, consider, if you can serve the Lord, if you can seriously serve the Lord without getting married, do it. Widows and widowers, if that's the right word, don't get remarried if you can serve God without it. It's just what the Bible says. I'm just repeating it. But if you can't, get married. You know, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a dating relationship right now, which I'll say I don't see dating here anywhere, you know. You don't see cars either, but that's a little different. You know, marriage is a little more important decision. You know, if you're in a relationship and you burn with desire for the other person, you're like, oh, man, like, they are just so beautiful. Like, when they drool, I just, wow. The glistens and it's so beautiful. But <laughs> stop messing around. Get married. Oh, but we haven't had our four year engagement or you know, we don't have all that money. Yeah, but you're playing with fire. If if you're burning and you're like, Oh man, like they're beautiful, I wanna kiss and hug and do all those things and it's hard to stop those thoughts and I gotta run home every night at six o'clock before the sun goes down because I'm struggling with this, get married. Seriously, stop playing around. You think you can play with it, but you can't. You're going to get burned, and, and you don't want to get burned. But if you do fall, if you do get burned, there's grace. Don't live in the fire. Don't stay in it. Repent. Confess to whoever you need to confess to to help you out of it. Seek help. Flee if need be. Flee the situation that's, you know, dangerous or risky. Flee the locations. You know, don't go anywhere alone. You know, I didn't go. I still don't. The only person I go alone anywhere with or am alone anywhere with is my wife and my daughter. Um, you know, I remember working somewhere, and uh, the other, other girl was a believer, but we had to go to, like, a job site. And I was like, I'll follow you. And she goes, what? And I go, I, I just don't drive anywhere alone or go anywhere alone with other women. It's nothing personal. It's just a thing I have, you know. It's not like I'm not trying to be legalistic on you about it. I'm saying I need to be legalistic on me about it. One, I don't want it to look bad. Two, we're all human. Thoughts happen. You know, and I don't want to mess around with that. You know, I value my future wife. I value my current wife. You know, future wife meaning like back when I was single, um, before I knew who my wife was. Not like future wife now. You know, my future wife is actually, (laughs) future wife is my present wife. Um, But flee it. And if that relationship is causing you to sin, if that relationship, if that person that you're burning with doesn't want to help you flee, flee them. And if they don't turn to the Lord, they're not for you. But let's go on. Let's read uh, 10. Now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So this is not Paul's, hey, I wish you were old Jewish, man. This is, I command you, something God told me. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Let's stop there. You know, I couldn't get past this when I was studying, and I couldn't get past it now. And don't worry, women, I'm going to get to the men in a minute. But a wife is not to depart from her husband. 
It's that simple. Ladies, if you're married, you are not to leave your husband. You are not to divorce him. Now, before you you raise your hand with the objections, I know you have. I'm going to get to them. There is one sure reason that we're allowed to divorce or leave your husband, ladies, or men, and that's sexual immorality. That's sexual immorality. God says, I know how much that hurts. I know how deep that goes. I understand the consequences of all that and the mess that makes, but so you have a way out there. He's saying, I'm not saying you have to. That sexual immorality divorce, he's saying, all right, I understand now. I totally get it. You're allowed to do that. You know, because there's already been a separation. There's already been a divorce. There's already been an, an intrusion into the intimacy. So there, there, there's, a, there's good reason, you know, and it's okay then. But if there's opportunity not to, you know, the Bible says not to. You know, if he's abusive, and I mean really abusive, like physically abusive. I don't mean like he just doesn't like to go to the ballet with you, you know. And he isn't just the man you thought you married or the man you want. That's not a reason to get divorced. You know, if you're married now, that's God's perfect will for your life, is that person. It's not, oh, I didn't marry the person, didn't marry the right person. Okay, well, maybe you, maybe you rushed into a relationship, maybe you, got, you, know, you were backslidden or you didn't know the Lord and you got married and then you got saved and this person's not saved or whatever the case may be, you didn't seek God on the, the first time you were going down the aisle. But if you're still married to that person, they are God's will for your life. There's no more perfect person than the one you are married to. And that's the lie that the enemy wants to sell us in everything. Your phone's not the perfect phone for you. You've got to have the new S12, you know, next year the S13 or whatever. That's the same thing in marriage. You know, this person's not the perfect one for you, even though they're the perfect one for you because you're married. You know, the Bible's clear on that. You know, I think that's why the, uh, abuse, in a, in a sense is a reason to separate, maybe divorce over time, but it's definitely at least a separation, you know, because God doesn't want you to be physically abused. That's not love. And in a sense, that person's probably, that person's not a believer if they're physically abusing you and they're not, they haven't repented of it. And they've left you. You know, the Bible talks about abandonment a little bit later, and that's abandonment. They've abandoned you, just in the same way sexual morality can be an abandonment. But the Bible is clear, Malachi 2.16 for the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For, and this is why. For it covers one's garment with violence. That's interesting. Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not uh, deal treacherously. You know, God hates divorce, not because you know, it's a lot of paperwork. Or because you could use that $400 somewhere else. It's because it covers you and everything you wear and everything you are. Like, the Bible says that he covers us in his robes of righteousness. But that is covered with violence. You know, divorce is violent. You know, I don't know if you've ever heard, you know, you, you know, arguments are violent enough, you know, emotionally sometimes. But divorce, is, in a spiritual sense, and emotional sense, is violent. But here it comes, man, to all of us. Here's verse 11. If she departs, then she shouldn't remarry or she should come back to her husband if she wants to get married. And again, those two situations don't necessarily apply here in, in abuse. But it says that even if she's gone away, a husband is not to divorce his wife. Women get all this like little like caveat because men are usually worse than women, at least in, a, in an outward sense. Or more violent, I should say, maybe. But a, a husband is not to divorce his wife. That's it. 
we get one sentence. We're not to divorce our wife. I go, wow, like that's pretty rough. You know, we have no excuse. You know, in those days, men could divorce their wives for pretty much anything. Don't like the way she cooks? Divorce! You know, I don't have that problem. My wife makes great dinner and breakfast and everything. But it's the same today. You know, people get divorced for whatever reason. Just come on down, sign a couple of papers, pay a couple of bucks. We don't even need a reason anymore in a lot of jurisdictions. And honestly, it's not surprising. You know, we live in a throwaway society. You know, we should fix things, but we just throw them out and get something new. Like, I, uh, I had my car in for repairs, like a warranty repair, and the brake light was flickering, and so they said, uh, uh, we'll replace it. Uh, I'm like, uh, well, how much is it? And they're like, $268. I said, no, thank you. I will go aftermarket with that. And I Googled it, and all it was is, like, there's a solder joint that comes out of a joint. And, you, you know, so I went to Harbor Freight, spent 5 bucks on a soldering iron, and solder went, and 15 minutes of my time trying to take the thing out, light works fine. You know, it's a throwaway society. And now I feel like this little attachment, like, oh, I did something of very little consequence. You know what I mean? And if we can do that for little things like shoes or cars or hobbies or whatever, shouldn't we do it with the most important relationship in our lives? Shouldn't we go to Hobby Lobby and spend a few dollars on our wife? All right. <laughs> but you know you get the excuses you know the love grew cold I don't know them anymore and I don't mean to belittle it if you felt that way or you think that way but let me ask you these questions if you have or you do or you, you will someday we should ask all ask ourselves this did you maintain your intimacy did you make time for them like you did when you were dating I say, wow, when you get married, you go, wow, we don't spend any time together anymore. Like, even when we're around each other, we're doing other stuff. You know, my wife and I, like, make time to, we set aside in the calendar, we're not doing anything today. We're called do nothing at all days. And we just hang out and do nothing or do whatever we want. And we also have date nights that we make sure we do once or twice a month. Because you have to, especially with kids. But, did you love them at one point? You know, in the world's eyes, like, what love is? Like, love is not an emotion. Did you respect them? You know, I would, say, I would venture to say not if you're at that point, that somewhere along the line, both people have made mistakes. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not repairable or that one person didn't go out and blow it big time or anything like that. But, you know, I think the hardest part for us men is what God said to Hosea in the Old Testament, Hosea 1, 2 through 3. I am glad I'm not an Old Testament prophet. You know, if you read the Old you're like, wow, like, these guys had it rough. You know, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, oh, great, the Lord's speaking to me, Hosea says. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and the children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord or separating from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, what a name, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. So God tells Hosea, Go marry a prostitute. Lord, that's not you. You know, like today, you know, like there's other like guys that are like laying their side like in the buff, like cooking food over, you know, animal dung, stuff they couldn't do, and God's like this is a picture of Israel. I need you to go be a picture of Israel so they see what I'm saying. And it's like, we, we don't have to do that. We can just read the Bible. But Hosea had to do this. You know, if, he re- if you read that story, he had to go back and buy her back several times. You know, they're married. They have a couple kids. He gives them some whack names because obviously God's bringing judgment on a nation if you know, he has to go out and marry a prostitute. But then she goes out and she goes back and starts selling herself again. And he goes, oh man. And God goes, go get her. And he has to go out and take his hard-earned money and buy his own wife back from the corner. 
who would do that? I mean, it's like, you know, it's one thing, like, if something's going on in your marriage and, like, you know, your wife or your husband goes to do something, but if, who here, like, don't raise your hand, but who here has had their spouse leave them for prostitution? And then you had to go pay for them. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, and the picture here is that, that that's what happens when we leave God. When we say, God, I want a different answer. I want to know what Dr. Phil says instead of, instead of Apostle Paul. You know, when we leave God and we go for worldly advice as opposed to spiritual advice, it's prostitution in God's eyes. Because we're joining ourselves to something that's unholy. But guys, are you watching pornography? Women. You know, are you lusting after people on the street? On the job? Then you left your spouse and you're headed down the path to divorce. Oh, but I haven't left her yet. It's just, you know, at 11 o'clock at night when I go on the internet, that's when I left her. No. You know, Jesus said that if you've committed the sin in your heart, then you've already done it. If you've thought it in your heart, if you've lusted, if you've hated, you've already killed, you've already murdered, you've already committed adultery. So, cut it out. You're already on the wrong path. Like, and we know where that goes. Fire. So let's go on, 12 through 16. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. So we just got this commandment from the Lord not to divorce unless it's, you know, sexual morality here. But to the rest, Paul says, if any believer, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with them, uh, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. That's awesome. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? That's, that's cool because that points to the eternal ramifications of, of temporary marriage. But situations, okay, so if you become a believer, you got married, and then all of a sudden you, you get saved and you know Jesus, so now your spouse is not married. You know, or if you got married as a believer, maybe you backslid or maybe you didn't pray about the relationship or, you know, you did this, like, missionary dating thing, which, you know, is not good. Um, and you marry this person, and now you're married, and this person's not a believer. You know, whatever the case, it says you're married now. You know, just because you got saved is not... All right, I'm saved. You're not saved. I'm going to go find me a Christian. That's not what God's perfect will is for your life. And a lot of people do that today. You know, apparently, I don't know where they get the statistics from, but the divorce rate in the church is the same as the world. Like, hello? (laughs) If we read it, you know, if we obeyed it, if we, you know, I think that obviously, like, this is sort of a last-ditch effort. Like, this is God saying, okay, you know, we've already dealt with salvation. Now we've reached this other level. Like, obviously, you missed something earlier along the way if you've gotten to this point. And none of us are above it. You know, it's something that, you know, we all need to be wary of. It's not something let me worry about when I get there. It's, you know, like my wife and I, we, we promise never to say, I want to, to each other. I want a divorce. Maybe I want lunch, but not I want a divorce. Because right there, it's like, oh, we're causing that separation. We're cutting. We're cutting. And, you know, how many times do you have to saw back and forth for that piece of wood? You know, it goes into two. But whatever the case, if you're married now, that's the person God has for you. 
it's his perfect will for you now to be married to that person. And, you know, we won't get into the whole, if God knew beforehand and then afterwards, you know, that's the only thing. The deal is, we're here right now, this is your spouse. There's no, I married the wrong person. Once you're married, that's it. You know, my friends and I play this game called Access and Allies. You have to move all these pieces on the board. And we used to, like, move it and go, oh, can I change it? And we say, no, no, no. And we came up with a saying. It says, once you commit, that is it. Once you commit, that is it. So when you're married, that's it. So before you commit, make sure they're it. And I, I love this verse. I think it's <laughs> Paul kind of going, you know, if your spouse is willing to live with you, you know, if you're a believer and they're an unbeliever and they're willing to live with you, he says it in both cases, great, that's a miracle in and of itself. Like, you know, like the Lord is the one who created marriage. He's the one who keeps marriage together. So if you're with someone who doesn't know God and doesn't want to obey God and they're willing to put up with you, you know, and your hallelujahs and you're going to church twice a week and your Bible and, you know, you don't want to do the same things that they want to do. If they're willing to put up with that, great. God is already doing something. You know, if they don't flee and go, ah, oh, crazy Christian, you're a bigot, I'm out of here. You know, God's already working there. But I think it's interesting that it says, um, you know, sanctified spouses and clean children. You know, if two unbelievers are married, who is praying for them? Hopefully a believer that knows them. Hopefully someone in their family or a friend or, you know, the Lord is definitely praying for them, the Bible says. But other than that, you know, they're open and free to be controlled and damaged by their flesh and the enemy and sin. But with a believer in that relationship and that home, God honors that. God honors that. You know, I can tell, like, and not to be all weird, but it's like, you know, if you go to a home of a believer, you probably know it too. If you go to a home of a believer versus a home of an unbeliever, there's a difference. You know, it's like just walking in the door, you can just sense that there's something different. And that's, that's God. You know, in a sense, if you're married to an unbeliever, you're behind enemy lines, you know. You're like, you're not necessarily a spy, but you're behind enemy lines. So expect it to be rough. Expect it to be hard because you're married to an unbeliever. It's like they don't have the Spirit of God, and you do. It's like those things are going opposite directions. But how many families have come to the Lord because one person got saved? You know, my wife's family, my family. I vow to say there's several families in this church that somebody got saved, someone else got saved, the whole family got saved. It's like, just like it is in Acts. Like, let salvation come to this home today. You know, family is a major factor in faith. It's how God designed it. You know, when you're little, you know, you look up to your parents, and you always look up to your parents, whether you, you know, even if you don't want to, or even if you do want to, there's nothing you can do about it. You always look up to them, because they're your parents, and they're supposed to be looked up to. They're supposed to be honored. It's the way God made it. And so if that's a picture of faith, we're going to emulate their faith. So if one parent, like Timothy in the New Testament, his dad was Greek and apparently his dad split, but Paul says, you got the faith of your mom and your grandma. Like, they instilled this faith in you. I think the same thing. Like, in our families, like, if you're the one believer in your family, great. You're just like Jesus coming to earth to a bunch of sinners, and you get to love them. Yeah, maybe your life is hard and you don't get to do all the other things that you want to do, but, but in the end, you know, who wants them to go to heaven more than you do? Probably no one. But it says that the children are clean, and there's a cool verse, and we'll wrap it up. I'll rush to the end here. But Job 1.5 says, So it was, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would, sa- would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. So we see that, that Job is out in the Old Testament way praying for his children. 
caring for his kids' spiritual health. And if you're a believer in a home, you know, what better prayers for them than the prayers of a parent for their child? You know, what person better desires good things for their children than their parent? Certainly not, certainly not the state, certainly not your neighbors. They may all desire good things, but, I, you know, you probably desire the best things for your child. You know, you are the person most likely. But children are carried, cared for by their parents. They're the ones who God has designed to care for them. You know, Proverbs 22, 6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, who knows their kids well enough or their spouse well enough to be specific in prayer for them? but a believing parent, a believing spouse. No, no one else knows them well enough to pray for the specific needs in their life. You know, which do you think is better, seriously? The witness of a believing spouse and parent staying in the home and loving the family, or that person leaving to find God's will for their lives while they leave the family hurt, broken, empty, along with a bad taste in their mouth about God's love? I mean, people believe that. You know, this is the right thing for me to do in God's eyes for me to leave my family. Like, God didn't leave us, why should we leave them? And, you know, if that's happened, you know, there's always restoration. You know, God is all about restoration and, and healing families and, and t- taking care of those things. But if you're in that situation, don't flee it. Don't seek separation there. You know, the whole point is, how do you know your godly influence will not lead your family to Christ? You know, you're the one who's most likely to lead them or lead them away from the Lord, I think. Let's read... Uh, 17 through 19, we'll hurry through this. But as God has distributed to each one, and as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But here we go. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. You know, if you became a believer being single, remaining single is good. I'm not going to tell you that you have to stay single for the rest of your life, but what I am going to tell you is you should seriously consider it. You know, I was single for six years, and, and even up to the day before getting married, you know, the, the last night, you know, after rehearsal into the marriage, I had such peace. Like, God just showed up. Oh, wow, just such peace. But up to the day before, it was just like, Lord, like, you know, if you don't want me to be married, you know, please tell me. Please tell me. Because... I tell you, you know, you can either have a spouse that's with you in ministry or your spouse can be your ministry. Now, I don't mean that, you know, even in a good marriage that you're not supposed to minister to your wife or your husband. What I'm saying is if they're not a believer, they're not going the same direction. You're always going to be ministering to them and making sure that they're okay, which you should do anyway. But it's going to consume all your time because you're not supposed to abandon them. So now how are you going to serve in other ways if... All your energy is focused over here. It's like a, you know, like a trophy spouse. Like, you know, you spend the whole time polishing it instead of, you know, running the race. You know, for, for homework, I encourage you to read, uh, read First and Second Timothy. There's a lot of good stuff in there. But Timothy was circumcised after salvation before he went on the missionary trips with Paul. So, like, wait, Paul said not to do that, and he's doing that because he's not doing it for himself. He's doing it to be a witness to others. He's saying that the, the point here is not whether you do this religious thing or whether you, know, you stay in your marriage or you don't stay in your marriage or you stay single or you're not single. But is are you obeying God? Are you doing what God has called you to do 
in your life. If God's called you in the state of singleness, it says don't seek to be loosed. You know, to obey is better than sacrifice. Let's read the last four verses and we'll, we'll close. Verse 20, Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. Says the slaves, don't be concerned. You know, if you're a slave tonight, if you're a slave to your singleness, and you know, you can't find a spouse or whatever the case, don't worry about it. Don't be concerned about it. Just continue being that single person. You know, let let our concerns not be about earthly freedoms to do this or that, but to have heavenly freedom, to do what God would have us do. You know, don't worry. Paul says, be practical in the application. You know, if you have the opportunity, hey, God brought me a wife, let me get married. Or, hey, God gave me a new job, let me take that. So it's not as much of a commute or it pays more money or whatever the case may be, take it. You know, you don't need to abuse yourself like, Oh, I'm never going to get married. Oh, you know, I want to get married. No, if, if God so wills it, then go for it. But if he doesn't, you know, don't force the issue. Don't seek to be separated from the situation you're in. Seek to stay in that situation. Seek to be joined to the Lord in that difficult situation that you want to be separated from. Because, you know, we can run away from a million situations and, the problem keeps going, and we're the problem, and we keep bringing our problems into the new situation. You know, don't date, pray and wait. The same way, you know, don't up and quit your job. You want to get another job? Look for a job on the weekends, or do whatever you have to do. But a lot of the times when we seek these freedoms, when we seek to be free from a situation, we end up becoming a slave to something else. You know, oh, I don't want to be in this relationship anymore, so you become a slave to pornography, you become a slave to an adulterous relationship, or I don't, you know, this, I'm not happy enough in this job, so you become a slave to another job that demands everything. You know, a lot of times when we seek our freedom without the Lord, we enslave ourselves. And Jesus says, you know, Paul says that you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. You know, let's remain in that state that God has called us in. But I hate New York. Maybe he means New York. But if God has called you to it, isn't that the best thing for you? Isn't the situation that you're in right now, because God's allowed it, the best thing for you? Maybe it's temporary. Maybe it's not. But it's the best thing for you right now. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who called you is faithful, who also will do it. You know, if God's put you in a job and a marriage and singleness and family or anything else, don't be separated from it. Let man not separate. Uh, Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for just the time to go through it, and uh, everyone's just willingness to listen, and I pray, God, that you would help us to to not separate ourselves from the things you have us in. Um, God, if there's sinful things that we need to be separated from, Lord, I pray that you would do that work tonight by your spirit, and help us to obey, and to confess, and to repent, and to turn. But God, if there's hard things in our life, things that aren't going the way we imagined, aren't going the way we wanted, In fact, they're going a a horrible way, God. I pray that you would be our refuge, God, that you would uh, hear our prayer. And, uh, God, I pray for the situations in this room, that, God, you would get the people through it. You would get us all through the things we're going through. Um, I know you promised rest. 
And uh, sometimes that rest isn't in this life. But, God, I pray that you would provide. In uh, Jesus' name, amen.